So today, um, we're actually continuing with our series um, about um, ministry gifts. You know, Pastor Brett has already talked about um, apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors, and today we're digging into teachers. Um, let's look back at our, our foundation scripture for this whole series in Ephesians 4 and verse 11. It says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. So that's what this whole, that's all, that's a, this whole message, this whole series has been about. You know, sometimes the, the ministry gift of teacher uh, can be misunderstood. Sometimes it can be misunderstood a little bit. So we're going to really dig into it. Um, we're going to talk about how teachers function, how God wired teachers, because it's important to know that. And to do that well, um, we're going to look at the greatest teacher that we have an example of, and that's Jesus. And he was an incredible teacher. Uh, he was constantly referred to as a teacher during his time here on the earth, both by people who loved him and by people who hated him. They all called him a teacher. They, they recognized that that was a part of the gifting that God had given him. Um, it's true that he did amazing miracles, but there was often teaching that led up to those miracles too. Um, he operated in the ministry gift of teaching a lot. Um, and if you look at the Pastor Brett mentioned this a couple weeks ago, um, but if you look at the ministry of Jesus, huge crowds followed him everywhere. Everywhere that he went, there were just mass amounts of people. And he, Pastor Brett mentioned the story of, of, of Jesus feeding the 5,000 a couple weeks ago. And it talks about when he fed 5,000, it says he fed 5,000 men. So it was, a lot more than, it was a lot more than that that was there. It was 5,000 men there. So you could almost say it was like 5,000 families. And Pastor Brett once again gave this number a couple weeks ago, but he said that if you look at how many people were probably actually there, it was probably more like 20,000 to 25,000 people if you look at how many, all the kids and the wives and the families and the grandparents. I mean, it was, a, it was just a ton of people that were there for this. And thinking about that, these people would literally follow him out into the middle of desert and deserted places, you know, places where there was no food, uh, places where there were no bathrooms, places where there was no comfort of home. And sure, he was doing miracles, but they also just desired to hear him teach. There was something about how he taught that drew people to him, and they wanted to, they wanted to hear it. And to me, as a, as a middle school teacher, that's amazing to me um, because I have kids who can't make it through a 63-minute block without having to go to the bathroom twice and eat a snack while you're sitting there teaching to them. So it's just amazing to me that these people would follow him into places with no food or anything just because they wanted to hear him teach so badly there. He was, such a, he was just such a good teacher. There's something special about how he taught. And I want to look at a few reactions of people who heard him teach and what they actually, what they actually said because of the fact that he was teaching them. Our first one's in Matthew 13 and verse 53. It says, when Jesus had finished telling these stories and illustrations, he left that part of the country. He returned to Nazareth, his hometown, when he taught there in the synagogue. So he was teaching. He was teaching in the synagogue. Everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? So as a result of him teaching in the synagogue, they were amazed. Like they were hearing things they'd never heard before. It wasn't just the miracles that were amazing people. It was the wisdom that he brought as he was teaching them. He said things in a way that they'd never heard before. He said, he, even though he was right in line with the scripture that they had, it was different than anything they'd got to experience. Um, let's look at another one. In uh, Matthew 22 and verse 33, it says, when the crowds heard him, they were astounded at his teaching. It didn't say they were astounded at his miracles. It said they were astounded at his teaching. They were astounded at this teaching. They had never heard anything like this before. This was so different than any other teacher they heard in the synagogue, any of the Pharisees or Sadducees or any of these people. It was so much better than what they'd ever heard before. Let's look at another one. And this is where the Pharisees are going to try and have Jesus arrested because of what he's teaching. So in John 7 and verse 32, 
It says, when the Pharisees heard that the crowds were whispering such things, they and the leading priests sent temple guards to arrest Jesus. So basically because of what he was saying, because of what he was doing, they actually send the temple guards, and your mission is go arrest Jesus. That's what they want to see happen here. And we're going to jump down to verse 45, and we're going to see the temple, the temple guards coming back from their mission to arrest Jesus. So in John 7, 45, it says, when the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, so notice they did not arrest him, it says the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him in? We have never heard anyone speak like this, the guards responded. So they were on this mission to go arrest Jesus as he was teaching. And as a result of his teaching, they were like, we can't arrest this guy. This is incredible. We've never heard anything like this before. Their, their desire to hear Jesus teach was greater than this order they had been given by their bosses, by the people who got to tell them what to do. That's how incredible his teaching was. Just imagine that you're teaching in a country where Christianity is not allowed, and you're sitting there teaching, and the people are sent on a mission to come kill you. And as they come to try to kill you, they hear you teach, and they're like, I can't kill this guy. This is, this is what I need. This is life-changing to me. That's what kind of teaching that Jesus had. Nobody had ever taught like him before. So with that in mind, I want to dig into the ministry gift of a teacher. Um, I want to draw from the life of Jesus. I want to talk about three qualities that a teacher has. And we're going to see these things in the life of Jesus. Uh, so number one, and this is probably the most important of all of them, uh, but teachers love students. They love their students. It's not something they do because they have to. It's they genuinely love their students. You know, I, I work at the, I already said, the middle school here in town, and I can attest to the fact that we love our students. That's one of the reasons I love working with the people that I do is because we genuinely love the kids we get to work with every single day. Um, I don't want to embarrass anybody here, but I wanted to do something for just a moment here. And I have a pretty good idea because I know a lot of you guys, but if, if, you're, if you're a teacher, so I'm talking college, public school, private school, or homeschool, or if you teach here at the church, um, would you mind standing up for just a moment? I don't want to embarrass you, but I want people to see just how many teachers we have in this building. Pretty incredible. <laughs> That's right. Y'all can sit back down. Thank you. We have all these amazing teachers, and I, lo I love that. I love that that ministry gift is a part of this church. Whether you do it in church or whether you do it in the school, it's a gift that God gives us. I know what it's like to, to, to pour yourself out in a group of people every day, sometimes with very little appreciation and all the time for way too little pay, but you do it because you love kids, you love students. Um, so now that we've recognized these amazing teachers in here, let's go back and look at how well Jesus loved the people that he taught. So Mark 6 and verse 34 it says, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them. So he saw these people. Jesus stepped off the boat and saw these people, and immediately he had compassion. His heart went out to them. In other words, his great love for them motivated him to do something. There was action that went with it. His great love for them motivated to leave them better off than he found them. He loved those people. So it said he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. He saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd, so he begins to teach them. Jesus recognized that these people were lost, that they needed direction in their lives. He recognized that they needed an encounter with God. They needed something different than they'd ever experienced before. They needed to know God in a way they didn't know him at that moment. And he had so much love and compassion for them that he just immediately begins to teach them what they've been so desperately needing. God had such a heart for people. Teachers love their students. Uh, we see the same thing in the story of the rich young ruler. Uh, he came to Jesus and he asked the question, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus went through the different commandments with the man, and the, and the man actually replies, I've obeyed all these commandments since my birth. He said, I've done all these things. And Jesus doesn't dispute that. 
Instead, look at what he says in Mark 10 and verse 21. It says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. So it starts off, he felt genuine love for him. Jesus looked at this man, and he felt so much love for him that he wanted to help him. His, he loved him enough to address an area that he was apparently struggling with. This man was struggling in this area, so he addresses this area. He says, there is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. So apparently Jesus recognized that this area was something this guy was struggling with. He's not just going to walk up to all of us and say, sell everything you have and go, go follow me. But he's going to say, if that's a holdup in your life, if that's something that's holding you back, that may be something we need to deal with here. That would be a hard thing not to say to somebody. I mean, just imagine to someone who seems to have this heart for God and to say the one thing that's holding you back is your stuff. But if you sell everything, man, you're going to be able to step into some amazing things with God if you'll do that. He desires to see us live the best life we possibly can. And um, because he loves us so much, sometimes he's going to challenge us, which we'll talk more here in a second. Uh, people who are gifted by God to teach love to teach. They love to teach because they love to help people. They love to help people. They, love to s they see where they're at, and they want to take them to another place. They want to help them grow and get closer to God. Um, all through Scripture, Jesus was so full of grace and truth. So there's a combination. It wasn't just grace. It wasn't just truth. He had grace and truth. Um, it wasn't just truth. Grace was always right there with it. Because people had heard truth, but they, hadn't had a whole, they had not heard a whole lot of grace at that point. You know, the, basically the Pharisees were so focused on the rules and the regulations, that's all these people ever got to hear was all the rules and regulations. But Jesus met them where they were at, and he attached grace to it and said, true, it's good to do these things, but hey, God loves you too, and that relationship with him is way more important than, than just focusing on trying to keep every single rule. Let's focus on the relationship, and then that stuff will come easier if we'll do that. He was totally changing the way that, you thought, the way that people thought. Sinners love Jesus. If you looked at the Bible, people who were sinners just absolutely loved being around Jesus because of how much love he had for them, even as he was correcting their lifestyle, even as he was encouraging them to live something differently, sinners still loved to be around him because of how much love he had as he was talking to them. Uh, Jennifer Nunley can attest to this, but just a couple weeks ago, um, I was actually a part of a, a panel that was speaking to one of her classes at WCC. And uh, my closing statement to those college students who are aspiring to be teachers and this is a cliche thing, everyone's heard this before, but this is what I told them, is that your students, your kids don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. And that's, that's true for young kids, that's true for adults, that's, that's true just across the board, that if people don't feel like you care about them, if people don't feel like you have their best interest in mind, they don't care what you have to say. So it's important that people know that we love them, it's important that people know that we have their best interest in mind, that we're looking out for them, that we want to see them grow and prosper and be everything that God wants, wants us to be. It's important that people know that about us. Um, that's why Jesus was such an amazing teacher, because the people knew that he loved them. The people had no doubt about that. They, they wanted to hear him teach because they knew how much he loved them and that he always had their best interest in mind. And Jesus never taught religious nonsense either, which is what the Pharisees taught. Uh, he taught practical truth. Uh, he taught things that we could take and live on a daily basis that would actually change and impact our lives. He taught things like, if you're mad about someone, don't come to church and play that whole game of looking like you're holier than thou. He said, go get it right with that person, then come to church. Um, he taught things like, don't worry about tomorrow. If God cares about the, enough to feed the birds and the flowers, he's going to feed and clothe you too. He would ta he taught things like that, really practical truth. He taught that you can't serve God in money. You know, he knew that we were wired to be generous people because God's generous and he made us in his image and likeness. He knew that about us, and he knew that we would never be happy pursuing money more than God. So he taught us that. He taught us those principles. He, ta he taught us that we were a people in need of a Savior. 
He taught that we were a people in need of a Savior, who, and we needed a Savior who could save us from our sin. He taught us those things. He taught us how to be successful in business. He taught us how to be successful in relationships. He taught us how to be successful parents and raising our kids. He taught us all these super practical things that we could take and actually live on a daily basis. Everything he taught was practical to what we deal with every single day. He was really specific about that. You know, and looking back in, in our lives, probably all of us can remember teachers um, that made a big impact on us. You know, as we, whether it was in school or here in church, uh, we can remember teachers that just something about them made a big impact in our lives. One of my te- uh, favorite teachers growing up um, was actually a guy named Mr. Neighbors from Max Meadows. I know if, uh, there's a few Max Meadows people here too, but uh, Mr. Neighbors, I believe he was fifth grade teacher. Was he, was he fifth grade? It's been a long time ago. So he's somewhere, he was somewhere, somewhere in that fifth to sixth grade range, I don't remember. Uh, and I don't remember a single thing that he taught me. I know he, he, he did a fantastic job because I graduated whatever grade that was. Um, but I don't remember anything he taught me. But I, I do remember things like, I remember him drinking out of a pickle juice jar all the time. He drank pickle juice every day. Um, I remember things like, um, like I remember if you were up one around the classroom, he'd say, sit down and rest your bones. That was a saying he would say. I remember um, things like if, uh, if, if you tried to complain about something, he would just say, life's not fair. Now, that was a great lesson for elementary school kids. They just know life's not always fair. That's, that's the truth. Um, but what I remember most about him is for many, many years after um, me and my siblings had left that grade and we had graduated high school and we had uh, gone on to college and got on and you know, moved around the country and did the different things that we did, um, he would still call my, my parents at least once a year just to check and see how we were doing. He did that for probably 10 to 15 years after we had graduated. He would still call their home number and say, hey, what's going on with them? He'd check on my brother. He'd check on me. He'd check on my sister, just wanting to know what we were doing. Why in the world would he do that? He loved the students. It wasn't enough for them just to deal for him just to deal with them at that one year that he had to. He, he basically made a lifetime investment in us and continued to call us, call and check on us because he genuinely loved his kids. He cared about us and wanted to know what was going on with us. Teachers love their students. And whether you're a teacher or not, if you're a believer, um, we should all be known by our love for the people around us. That's true for teachers, but realistically, that's true for all of us. Let's make that a practice that people around us know how much we love them. So teachers love their students. What else? Teachers challenge their students. I referenced this a little bit ago, but teachers challenge their students. Uh, Teachers challenge students because that's the way that we learn. Um, Jesus did this constantly because it was necessary to shift people's thinking. When you've, been, when you've been thinking a particular way your entire life, sometimes you need that adjusted if it's not in line with what God's word says. Sometimes we need some change to happen. Uh, let me clarify something, though. The ability to change, to challenge somebody, to change how someone thinks, how someone thinks, let me use proper English here. I do teach English a couple times a day, but anyway. Um, there has to be enough of a relationship to allow that challenge. So if there's no relationship there, it's really hard to challenge what someone think, thinks because their first thought is, you don't even care about me. Why am I going to care what you're trying to say to me right now? So there has to be relationship there. You know, if we don't have relationship, if I don't feel like you have my best interest in mind, I'm probably not going to be super receptive when you try to challenge me on something. But if I know that you love me and I know that you do want to see me live my best life and you come to challenge me, I'm going to accept that. I'm going to pray about that and say, God, is this you trying to talk to me? Because I know that you have my best interest in mind and you wouldn't be trying to bring me down with that. Um, but if we do have that relationship, we need to be challenged. Why? Um, our understanding of Scripture isn't always right. You know, how many of you guys here, if you've been serving God for a while, something that you believed early on in your walk with God, you realize that you are believing wrong, and it's actually something different now. Am I the only one like that? Okay. We have a few honest people in here. Yeah, as, as you grow in God, that's part of it. You just start to realize, this is what I thought this was true, 
but the more I've got to know God's word, the more I've got to know his character, I recognize that's not actually true. And I need, I'm the one who needs to change. God doesn't need to change what he's saying his truth is. I need to say, okay, if this is what God actually means here, this is how I need to line up my belief system. Sometimes we need to be challenged. Not on scripture specifically, but on our understanding of it, definitely. We need to be challenged sometimes. Uh, sometimes our wrong understanding of scripture is exactly the thing that's holding us back from being everything that God wants us to be and having everything he wants us to have. Jesus challenged us to help us out. And with some people, and we're going to see that here in just a, just a couple of minutes, uh, Jesus really had to tear down some arguments that they had. He really had to work through some junk that they had, some, some stuff that they believed, because they were so ingrained in their beliefs. And I'm going to read a, a fairly long set of scriptures here, but I want you to stick with me. Uh, we're going to see some example after example of Jesus' teaching, but it being really challenging to the people who are hearing it. We're also going to see that not everybody's super receptive to Jesus teaching these things that people had never heard before. That's going to make sense here in just a moment. So in Matthew 22, and we're going to start in verse 15, it says, Then the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. They sent some of their disciples along with the supporter of Herod. So to set the stage here, the Pharisees, they were the religious intellectuals of the day, um, and Herod's supporters, they were like the political intellectuals of the day. And basically, they team up. If you, if you study scripture out, you're going to find out that these people normally hated each other. They normally didn't get along on anything, but for this one mission of trying to trip up Jesus, they, they join forces, and they team up together. Isn't it funny how that works? When you're serving God, people don't even like each other will team up to try to, try to bring you down. But anyways, so it says they, they come together, and it says they come together to meet with him. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. You're impartial and don't play favorites. Now, we just read that we're trying to, they're trying to trap Jesus into saying something he shouldn't right here. Do you think that Je they think that Jesus is actually honest and truthful? Do you think that's actually how they feel? No, they're just, trying to, they're just trying to butter him up. They're trying to lead him down a path right here. They're just trying to manipulate him into something, which we're going to see here in just a moment. So verse 17 says, now tell us what you think about this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Do you think Jesus started to worry and think, oh, no, they've trapped me now? Do you think he was just sitting there saying, I, I don't know how I'm going to answer this? No. Jesus loved this kind of stuff. He says, of course not. He sees right through it. Verse 18, it says, but Jesus knew their evil motives, and he says, you hypocrites, he said. Why are you trying to trap me? So he just calls them right out and says, hey, I recognize you're trying to trap me right now, but there's a reason behind it. Even though that sounds kind of harsh, there's a reason behind him addressing things this way. In verse 19, he says, here, show me the coin used for the tax. When they handed him a Roman coin, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well, then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, give to God what belongs to God, and his reply amazed them, and they went away. So these religious scholars, these Pharisees, um, were trying to trap him, were trying to get him to say something he shouldn't, and instead, they walk away amazed at his response. Because of the wisdom he spoke with, because of how he taught, they walked away amazed, even though they were trying to trick him. Now, if that was us, we'd probably say, okay, God, I passed that test. I get to take it easy today. That's all there is today. I'm good to go now. But things are just getting started with Jesus. This is only the beginning here. Verse 23, it says, that same day, so this is the exact same day, Jesus was approached by some Sadducees. So the Pharisees took a crack at him, and now the Sadducees are trying. It says, they were religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead. So it says, so they basically believe that when we die, that's it, it's all over. They believe that our time on the earth is all that there is. So once again, they approach Jesus, and they ask him a question too. And as, as I read this question, I want you to just imagine Jesus hearing this question 
and trying not to roll his eyes as he hears it. You know, just try to, as we read through this, just picture Jesus actually listening to this in-depth question from these people who are supposed to be scholars. So it says, they posed this question. Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Okay, that's a simple question, but it keeps going. It says, well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children, so his brother married the widow. But the second brother also died, and the, and the third brother married her, and this continued with all seven of them. Last of all, the woman also died. What do you think the chances of that actually happening are of seven brothers basically want the first one marrying the wife and dying, and unless the wife was killing them, I don't think that's probably a very likely story to happen there. It's, so th this is a nonsense question. This is a nonsense question these guys were asking to try to trick them up. You know, when I read this, that takes me back to my youth ministry days when I, I did a question and answer night with my kids, and I would get questions like, could God make a rock so big that he couldn't move it? You know, you'd get questions like that, or you'd get questions like, did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? you get questions like that, and those are nonsense questions, although I can look here and I can see a few of you guys starting to wonder, did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? So let's leave that now. We can talk about that more after service if you want to. It's not that important. Let's get back on track here. But uh, verse 28 says, so tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. Jesus replied, and I love this. I wish I could have heard Jesus say this. I'm sure there was some emotion attached to this statement. But it said, Jesus replied, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. So just imagine you're sitting here trying to trick Jesus up with what he's saying, and he just says, well, you don't know scripture, you don't know the power of God, and that's your whole problem right there. You know, if Jesus, if Jesus was from the, start, from the south, like, you know, from where we're at down south, he probably would have said something like, started off by saying, well, bless your darling hearts. You know, he probably would have started off like that. Let me, let me tell you what's going on here. Let me tell you what's wrong here. And he answers their question that was designed to trap him by saying they don't know the word or the power of God. But let's keep reading. He doesn't stop there. And I love that he loves these people so much, he also wants to help them too, even though they're trying to trap them. So verse 30 says, for when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. So these people who don't believe in the resurrection are trying to trip Jesus up. But look at how Jesus connects these dots for them. He's trying to teach them. He's trying to get through to them here, even though they're trying to do him harm. Verse 31 says, but now, as to whether or not there'll be a resurrection of the dead. They didn't ask about that, but he's throwing this in there anyways. He said, haven't you ever read about this in the scriptures? Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he's the God of the living, not the dead. And when the crowds heard him, they were astounded at his teaching. So these people who were trying to trip him up were astounded. Once again, his teaching just amazes them. So he's amazed the Pharisees now. He's amazed the Sadducees now, and surely at this point, they've all had their lives dramatically changed by his teaching. Surely they've recognized that Jesus is speaking truth, and they're ready to turn their lives over and stop trying to trap Jesus. Let's keep reading and see what happens next. In uh, verse 34, it says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. So these, once again, these are two groups of people that did not like each other. The Pharisees and the Sadducees hated each other because they believe completely different things, and yet now they're teaming up. They're joining together to see what they can trip up Jesus with. Verse 35 says, one of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. So on top of, on top of joining forces, now they're bringing in a lawyer. Now, I, if you're a lawyer, we need godly lawyers, so I'm not putting you down here. And don't take this negatively, but lawyers know how to argue. That's a gifting they have is how to argue. So this is somebody who 
His whole purpose is trying to argue with Jesus here and prove him wrong. Verse 36, it says, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So Jesus answers their question beautifully. That's a great response. You know, love the Lord your God as yourself. Love, love your neighbor as yourself. He's telling you we need to love people, love God. Instead of allowing them to continue to trick him, though, he turns the tables on them. Once again, I think that he loved these people enough, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that he was trying to challenge what they believed. He's trying to challenge. He's trying to get them to open up their hearts and hear what he's trying to tell them about who God is. In verse 41, he says, Then, surrounded by the Pharisees, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? And they replied, He's the son of David. And Jesus responded, Then why does David, speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit, call the Messiah my Lord? For David said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand, until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. Since David called the Messiah my Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? No one could answer him. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So even though these guys were trying to trap Jesus, Jesus loved them enough to challenge them. He wanted to help them break free from what they'd understood to be true up to this point and experience the truth that God had for them. God loved them just as much as those people that the Bible calls sinners because Jesus wanted to see all of them come and follow God. He, de he desired that. He wanted them to get off the path that they were on and get on the path pursuing God and following God's best for their lives. You know, I've, I've told you guys many, many times that I, I love hiking. And um, uh, earlier this year, I was hiking a really cool hike where basically you go down this trail and you pass three waterfalls and then you take a right turn and you eventually get to an overlook where you're overlooked in this town. It's really cool, really beautiful. Um, I've only done it once, but it was amazing. Um, as I was coming back down the trail and, and I was almost back towards the beginning, I ran into two ladies who were basically wanting to do the exact same hike I was doing. And I met them, and they were showing me their map, and they were showing me the direction they were going. And at the place where they were supposed to go right to go up, on the, go up to the overlook, they had their map was showing them going left. And I knew because I'd just done that, if you go left, it actually loops you back around to the parking lot. Um, so as, as they were showing me all this, I was talking to them, and I said, you know, if you want to get here, I know your map says this. I know this is what your plan is. But if you want to get where I just was, you need to go right here. You need to go this way. And they, they argued with me for a while. They said, well, the map shows we need to go this way. And I said, I know the map shows this way, but if you want to go to the overlook that we just talked about, you need to go this way. And we went back and forth a few times, and finally the last thing they said was, I think we're just going to follow our map. And to me, that kind of broke my heart because I know how exhausting it is to take a hike and not get where you want to go. And I was trying to help them. I was trying to challenge what they believed, but they were so intent on doing their thing that unless they did a big loop and went back up there again, they never got to see that really cool overlook that I was talking about there. So looking at the example of Jesus, teachers love us and they challenge us. And our part in that is that sometimes we have to accept the fact that we're going to be challenged. Being challenged isn't always fun. Having our ideas changed isn't always fun. But sometimes when someone's trying to teach us something from the word or just in life in, ge in general that's, that's different than what we've ever heard before, don't dismiss it just because it's challenging for you. One of the best things you can ever do in those moments is ask the Holy Spirit, what are you trying to tell me right now? What are you trying to teach me through this? Instead of dismissing it, say, okay, God, I recognize this is different than anything I've heard before, but I'm open to you speaking to me. So, God, what do I need to get from this? And I promise you, if you'll do that, he'll show you. Remember, Jesus gave, us, Jesus gave us gifts as he ascended, and one of those gifts was teachers. That's for a purpose. That's for a reason. So be teachable as long as what's being taught is in line with the Scripture, because God wants to teach us. So teachers love us. Teachers challenge us. 
teachers inspire students. That's our number three point there is that teachers inspire students. I heard this example um, in the past couple of weeks, and I thought this was too good not to share, but uh, teaching is a lot like preparing a meal. You know, if you're going out to eat at a restaurant and they're advertising that our food is super healthy, it's super beneficial for you, it's going to nourish your body, um, it's going to be really, really good for you. And so you go to this restaurant and you start to eat the meal and the food tastes horrible. Um, even though it's really good for you, if the food tastes horrible, are you going back? One person said no, and the rest of you are like, I don't know, I just like eating horrible food all the time. So, no, no, if, if the food tastes horrible, you're not going to go back because you don't want to spend money on food that doesn't taste good, even if, you know, there's some health benefits to it. And what we're looking for in life is nourishing food that also tastes good too. We want stuff to taste good. And that's part of being a teacher is that we teach information that is nourishing and life-giving, packaged in a way that makes it desirable for those who are hearing it and receiving it. That's part of what we do as teachers is we take something that people need to hear and we package it in a way that they want to hear it too. That's part of what we get to do. And Jesus was amazing at this. You know, he used humor at times. I feel like what we read earlier, there was some humor in that. But he used humor at times. We don't always catch it, especially if we're reading the translation. We don't understand well, but it's there. Do you guys want to see an example of Jesus using humor? Okay, I do. I, lo I love humor, so of course. In Matthew 21, in verse 23, it says, When Jesus returned to the temple and began teaching, the leading priests and elders came up to him, and they demanded, By what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right? So just imagine Jesus is teaching, and the leading priests and elders question him and say, Who gave you the right to do this? Or just imagine walking up to Jesus with that attitude of, who do you think you are? You know, just imagine that. I just, I, I just can't fathom walking up to Jesus. But that's, that's, these people, that's what these people did. And I, I love Jesus' response, though. In verse 24, he said, I'll tell you by what authority I do these things if you answer one question. So he said, I'll answer your question. I just want you to answer my question first. And it says, Jesus replied, did John's authority to baptize come from heaven, or was it merely human? And it says they talked about among themselves, these people trying to trip, trip them up. And he says, if we say it's from heaven, he'll ask us why we didn't believe John. But if we say it was merely human, we'll be mobbed because the people believe John was a prophet. So they're wrestling with this question Jesus asked them. Jesus knew that if they answered the question either way, they were going to offend a particular group. And he knew that they couldn't answer this without offending somebody. So let's check out their response. And I love how Jesus responds to them. In verse 27, it says, so they finally replied, we don't know. So all these religious scholars get together and they discuss this thing back and forth. And we're like, the safest answer here is just to tell Jesus we don't know. And Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. To me, that's just hilarious. Like they, he says, well, if you're not going to tell me, I'm not going to tell you. That's just how we're going to play this game. So he didn't just use humor, though. He used illustrations, too, to help people connect with what he was teaching. You know, one day he was talking about not judging people unless you want to be judged the same way that they're being judged. And as he was doing that, he gives this beautiful illustration, something you can really picture. This is a ridiculous illustration, but you can picture it in your mind. In Matthew 7 and verse 33, uh, Matthew 7 verse 3, I'm sorry. And it says, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me, get, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the, the log in your own eye? And this is a ridiculous example, but you can visualize that. I mean, just imagine that one of your friends walks up to you and they have this gigantic log sticking out of their eye socket. And as they walk up to you with this gigantic log sticking out of their eye socket, they look at you and you, I mean, it's, you can tell there's a log sticking out of their eye socket. It's not something small. It's not something hidden. It's right there where you can see it and everybody else can see it too. There's an actual log sticking out of their eye socket. Can you all picture that? 
Can you picture a log stick? Look at the person next to you and picture a log sticking to their eye socket. You can see that. You can tell that's happening right now. So he's saying just imagine that one of your friends walks up to you with that log sticking out of your eye socket, and they walk up to you and said, hey, you've got a piece of dust in your eye right now. You really need to deal with that thing. What's your reaction going to be to that? You know, I'd, be th I'd be thinking, I mean, ha have you looked in a mirror recently? I mean, you're worried about this little piece of dust in my eye, and I see this gigantic log sticking out of your eye socket right now. I mean, your reaction would be like, you know, maybe, maybe deal with your thing, and then let's come talk about, you know, my thing that I'm working through right now. And we see that's essentially what Jesus says. In verse 5, he says, hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. To me, that's such a great illustration because you can picture that. You can see that in your mind. Even though it's so ridiculous to think about someone having a log coming out of your eye, you can picture that in your mind there. It takes the concept of, of don't judge others or you'll be judged to something that will actually stick with you. That's why Jesus uses such. On top of human illustrations, Jesus also used stories to help people connect with what he was teaching. And the prodigal son is a, is a beautiful example of that. If you don't know the story of the prodigal son, which I know a lot of us do, but a father had two sons, and the younger son asked his father for, an, for, an, for his inheritance. And his father gave it to him. And he takes off, and he lives a wildlife partying. Um, he spends all this money on women and partying, and he winds up starving and actually watching pigs eat their slop and wishing he could have the food that they're eating. That's, that's the place he gets to, is, is watching pigs eat, saying, man, I wish I could eat what they're eating right now. Uh, he eventually realizes that his, his father's servants are better off than he is, so he decides to go home and basically work for his dad as a servant and beg him for his forgiveness. And it's to the point where he actually, if you read the story, which I'm, I'm condensing some here because we've read so much already, but in the story, he's actually like rehearsing his apology. He's rehearsing what he wants to tell his dad. And we're going to pick up as he gets close to his dad's house. In Luke 15, in verse 20, it says, So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. So this is his apology, but if you look back a few verses, there's more to it that he re rehearsed. The father actually cuts him off from his apology. He's trying to go through these things, and the father says, I'm not even paying attention to what you're saying right now. Verse 22 says, but his father said to the servants, quick, he interrupts them. He interrupts the apology. And it said, his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found, so the party began. So basically, the father interrupts his apology to get the party started. He's so excited to see his son back. What was Jesus saying through this story? He was saying, see those Pharisees over there? Um, they can't even rejoice when one, one, one sinner re repents. But you sinners need to know that the father has been practicing his welcome home speech for longer than you've been practicing your apology. He's so ready to see you come back that he, he's been practicing this before. You can't even get the words out to apologize before he's already forgiven you and welcomed you back in the family again and throwing the party. That's how much God loves us. God loves every one of us that way. And Jesus, as the teacher, showed us that through stories like this. He showed us that through his humor, through his stories, through his illustration, that he loved us, and he tried to inspire us to pursue God because of that. Teachers are gifts from God. If you're a teacher in here, if you have that gift of teaching, whether it's in the school system or, or whether it's in church here, you're a gift from God. And teachers love us. Um, they challenge us, and they inspire us. They help us to be better. Uh, if, if Pastor Brett 
um, was to come back next week, and we're excited to have him back. If, if he was to come back next Sunday and says the week after that, Jesus himself is going to be here to teach us. Jesus himself is going to be on this stage right here, and he's going to teach anybody that would come. He just wants to teach you guys. How cool do you think it would be in here? Like if we made that public, the moment Pastor Brett announced that, made it public, and it went out here, and it went out through um, the online services that we do, and the moment it went out there like that, um, it'd be like packed in here. People would be camping, waiting for two weeks until Jesus got here. It'd be this whole property be covered in people. Both buildings would be packed. It'd be crazy how many people would be here because nobody would want to miss out on this opportunity to hear Jesus teach because we saw how life-changing that is, and we know it'd be life-changing. And I'm here to tell you that tomorrow morning, uh, before you get up and go through your routine, whether it's going to school or going through work, um, if you'll take just a moment to open up your Bible or open up your Bible app, um, you can experience teaching that's just as real as it would be if Jesus was coming here in two weeks and standing on this platform. Our Bible, we have this amazing resource that literally has God's word to us, and he can teach us on a daily basis. So I want to encourage you guys through this, even though we're talking about teachers, recognize the teaching gift of Jesus by allowing him to teach us through his word. I promise you, if you'll do that, it's going to be life-changing. If, you'll, if you'd come to hear him in two weeks, if he was up here teaching us here in church, let's read what he's already taught us with that same excitement, and your life will be changed just as much as those people who got to hear him in person 2,000 years ago. That's my takeaway on that. So, so maybe, and I'm going to start to wrap this up here. It's early, but that's okay. Maybe as we were talking about how loving and, and challenging and inspiring Jesus is, uh, maybe you realize that you don't have a relationship with him that you Maybe you're here today and be like, man, Jesus just sounds incredible. I wish I knew him that way. I wish I had that close personal relationship. Uh, whether you've, you've never had a relationship with God or, or whether you're that prodigal son and you're just needing to come home, he's ready to run and meet you and welcome you home with open arms. That's how much God loves you. So everybody in here, I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Um, the reason I do this is I want to give you a chance to look at your heart and ask that question, do I have a relationship with Jesus? Have I asked him to be Lord and my, my Lord and Savior? Have I accepted the sacrifice that he made for me? And if you've never done that, if you'd raise your hand right now, I'd love to pray with you before you go. And you can leave here today knowing that you had that awesome relationship with Jesus. So I'm looking around the room right now, and if you need Jesus in your life, if you need that relationship, just raise your hand. And I see one hand. Is there anybody else? We've already read that there's a celebration and a party in heaven. Uh, the moment that somebody comes back to him, just like that prodigal son with the father. Uh, man, he is running out to meet you right now. He's so excited. I see that one hand. Is there anybody else? I'm going to give you just a moment more. Uh, if you can put your hands down. Uh, maybe, maybe as we're talking, um, you recognize that you are that prodigal son. Um, you're a part of God's family, uh, but you've wandered away from him, and now you're ready to come back home. You've, you've done your thing. You recognize it was not all that you thought it was going to be, and you're ready just to come home, from, come home to God and just his love and his goodness you're ready to come back and be on the path that God has for you if you if that's you if you recognize I'm not with God where I need to be right now but I'm ready to come back I'm ready to get things back on track again if you'd raise your hand I'd like to pray with you about that too and you can leave here knowing that not only are you forgiven but you're back on the track that you should have been this whole time and I'm seeing more hands pop up for that one that's exciting God gets just as excited when people make the decision I'm coming back to you I'm coming to serve you and follow you again and I'm just looking around the sanctuary to make sure I didn't miss anything I'll ask y'all to put your hands down. What we're going to do now is we're just going to pray a prayer together. And we're just going to, whether it's admitting to God for the first time or accepting that forgiveness that we need, uh, we're just going to expect God to move in our lives and we're going to expect our lives to be changed because of it. So out of respect to those who are praying, let's all pray this together right now. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you that you sent Jesus 
to forgive me and cleanse me from all my sin. God, from this moment forward, I'm committing to live my life for you, to pursue you, and to pursue your best for my life. I thank you for that, and thank you for welcoming me home. In Jesus' name.